Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. I'm in a weird place this morning, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I actually like the fact that stuff broke. Is that weird? Because I've been struggling with this topic all week in sermon prep, and I think it's jaded me a little bit. And I, we'll get into it. Don't, don't worry. It's not you know, pastor's having a nervous breakdown up there or something. Only halfway. But it's a good reminder of exactly what we were, exactly what we were talking about this morning. I mean, exactly what we were talking about this morning. And it's been on my heart all week. This is week two of our, what is it? Broken series, Preparing for Easter. And today's title of the message is The Tipping Point. The Tipping Point. And uh, the big idea for today's message is this. Jesus disrupted the activity of the court of the Gentiles to show that just going through the motions of worship isn't enough. You almost might think we planned for it to break. And if I had thought of it, I might have done it, but I didn't. Let me pray with you. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to put aside some of the stuff and to focus on you, to realize what it means to be in relationship with you, even from a cognitive level, Lord. Lord, give us the information that we can ruminate on throughout the week. Let your Holy Spirit unpack the Word of God to my friends this morning, God. So Lord, today, be with this message. Be with the hearts and minds of your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to be religious? What is it? Just contemplate that thought for a second. What, do you, what does it mean to be religious? So often, um, as a pastor, as soon as somebody learns what I do, and I go out of my way to try to make people not know what I do. Sir, I'm not even joking. Like, you know, my, when I introduce myself to somebody, I'm not like, hi, I'm Reverend David Sangster. Who cares? I never met you before. No, I'm, just, I'm Dave. The pastor part comes when I actually pastor you, when I care for you. It's almost like the title is an earned title, not a given title. But here's the thing. When I go out of my way, because I, I, what people do is go, well, hey, well, I'm a religious person. Well, good for you. I'm glad that you're religious. Do you even know what that means? Is it even a good term to use? Religion, in definition, is a personal set or uh, institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Now, to be religious means relating to or devoting to religious beliefs or observances. Related to or devoted to religious beliefs or observances. So let me ask a couple more questions. Kind of chew on this. 
was Jesus religious? Think about it for a second. You don't have to snap answer that. Just think about it. Was Jesus religious? Is Christianity as we know it today religious or relational? As we know it today. Now the temptation is to go, well, that church over there is very religious, but I'm not because I go to the real church. And we're not religious. Really? That would, that would uh, denote a level of negativity towards the concept of religion. And we haven't even answered what religion is yet. Are you religious? Think about it for a second. Are you religious? You're here. You did something that related to a devoted uh, religious belief or observance. You're here. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not weighing in yet. Let me ask you this very important question relating to this concept. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? If we can answer that question, we're going to be doing okay. Barry Jones explains the significance of Lent when he says this, period, this time in the calendar, Christian calendar called Lent. In Lent, we are invited to stop playing and take our faith seriously. To enter into a focused time of spiritual reflection and renewal. Asking God to help us uncover the junk in our lives that chokes our souls that weighs us down and trips us up. That's what the Lenten season is about. I love the way he says that. It's a way to slow down. It's a renewal to uncover the junk in our lives that chokes our souls and that weighs down and trips us up. Now, we can look at that quote and see all the secular and sinful things we do and consider that this is the junk that he's talking about. That choke the junk that chokes our souls. Thus, if we become more religious, we would then be more like Jesus. We could take that, you know. You know, I've had I had a tough year with God. Yeah, I'm I'm focused, Pastor. I got you. I've been focusing on it. So now I'm just going to lean into religion. You ever hear that? Oh, so and so got religion. What does that even mean? Shane Fuller says this, Lent is a time for detoxification from the personal and cultural influences that make uh, that may be out of balance. We talked about balance this morning. It is the time to corporately lament the things in our world that are out of sync with God's eternal plan and purpose. It is a time for self-examination, for learning what areas of sin still seem to hold sway in our lives. It is an opportunity to know yourself anew, your strengths, your weaknesses, your propensities. Lent offers a chance to examine what areas of your life need healing so that as you approach the time of Christ's death and glorious resurrection, you can understand and experience the way 
the light of Christ penetrates all areas. I want you to think all areas of the darkness. How God's light penetrates all areas of darkness. Is it just possible that our religious, our religion, or in other words, our devotion to religious beliefs and observances can be a blind spot for us? An area of darkness? Something that is not pleasing to God. Open to Matthew chapter 23. Now, this is not our main text, but, and I wasn't even going to use this passage today. But as I started reading and prepping, oh man, this one just leaped out at me. And I was talking to Michael about it this week. I'm like, I think I'm going to read the whole thing. Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read most of it. (laughs) It's because it's long. But it's long, and I think the length of it is actually telling because it's just intense. Jesus gets intense. He gets super intense. So let's start with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowd and the disciples, the teachers of the religious law and the prophets are official interpreters of the law of Moses. Now, when we think law of Moses, we think religion. Okay? The, the observance of practices and principles. All right? So law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but do not follow their example. So what is Jesus saying here? He is actually saying it's okay to do religious things. Hmm. Interesting. That whatever they're telling you to do, it's not bad what they're doing, but just do not follow their example. Now, what does that mean? Go back to the question of why do we do what we do? This is, and then he goes on, and then he, get, then he just gets intense. Four, they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with their unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. 13, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let anyone else enter either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourself are. What is he saying? He's saying, these people are going, they're, they're, they are evangelizing. They're going across land and sea, and they're, and they're teaching people to do things for the wrong reasons. And they're making people more tenacious about religion as a thing than they themselves are. So they're making people, whoa, that's heavy. Keep going. Verse 16, I'm just going to read the first two words. Blind guides. 23. What sorrows await you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now listen to this. This next statement is very interesting from Jesus. 
you should tithe. Yes. Wait, that's a religious practice he just dumped on. No, it's not. It's a religious practice for the sake of religious practices, for the sake of self-glorification, for the sake of self-salvation. Um, why do we do? He's not saying don't tithe. He's not saying don't go to church. He's not saying don't do things. He says, why are you doing it? He said, no, tithe, that's a great thing to do. But do not neglect the more important things. 27. What sorrows await you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full inside of dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Whoa. Now he's really going to start rolling here. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? If you build tombs for the prophets, your ancestors killed. And you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in those days of our ancestors, we never would have joined with them in killing the prophets. Ha, I can only picture Jesus seeing the future of this statement. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, snakes, sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Jesus is not pulling any punches. 34, therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some, of, some by crucifixion, <laughs> and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from the city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. For the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation. In less than a generation, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is burnt and melted down. He wasn't pulling any punches, and he wasn't joking around. Now, listen, listen to the heart of Jesus. Verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often... I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this particular passage has a multifaceted prophetic um, explanation. This is early in Jesus' ministry. In John, it talks about, uh, it's, it's chapter 2. So some scholars will say that they didn't, he, didn't, he left them and he didn't come back until the day of, uh, until um, Palm Sunday. I, I tend to not go along with that. I feel like this is a personal thing. This is the end of times. 
And I also think it's our heart. You're never going to see Jesus for who he is until you lay it all down and say, blessed, just blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are my God. Why do we do what we do? Jesus is not abolishing the law. He's fulfilling it. He's saying these things were meant to do something. They were meant to point you towards me. They were not meant to be an end in and of themselves. You are going to get no special points with God for being here this morning. I'm sorry. If that's why you're here, you've just wasted, you've literally wasted your morning. All the activity, all the practice, all the time invested in making sure things were done just right, and they missed it completely. Now, these guys were good. They, they, they held religious practice to a whole new level. They had like their doctorate, literally had like a doctorate in religious practice. They had rituals for everything. He talked about one time, they clean, they, they would strain the uh, liquid in their, their, their drinking cups just because they didn't want a gnat in it. Even if there's no gnats around, they would just do it out of ritual just because, just in case, something that was unclean got into them. <gasps> they were so, they had ritual for everything. The way you washed your hands. When, when, when Jesus is um, nailed by the religious leaders because their disciples don't wash their hands before they eat, it's not like what we're talking about when you go tell your kids or grandkids to go wash their hands. He's saying this, there is a particular ritualistic way in which you are supposed to wash your hands before you eat. And they were not doing it properly. How dare they? They're walking around with Jesus all day, every day, and just because they didn't wash their hands in the proper way, now they're not worthy or something. It's craziness. Folks, we're not that different. We will not see him. Completely, we will completely miss him until we put aside the stuff and surrender to his love and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now let's get to the main text. That wasn't even the main text. That was just something I was like, smacked with. So go to John 2. John 2, and we're going to read 13 through 25. This is like the highlight reel of Jesus' in-your-face moments, apparently. Verse 13, the Jewish Passover was here. And so Jesus went up to, the, uh, to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. All right, let's just talk about this. This is the court of the Gentiles. That, now, if you know your temple geography... There's multiple gates into the temple, and there's multiple levels at which different people are allowed to enter. So there was the court of the Gentiles, which was the outside, the biggest, you know, outside court, and anybody could go there. Anybody could go there, even women. <laughs> anybody could go there. And then there was an inner court that was just for, a little bit inner court that was for like Jewish men. And they were allowed to go there. 
And then there was the inner, much inner court where they did all the sacrifices of, on the altar, and the priests were only allowed to, to function in that space. And then there was the temple, inside the temple, where only the elite group of priests were able to burn incense and put the uh, bread of the presence out and, and things like that. And then there was the Holy of Holies, which is where the mercy seat was, which is the Ark of the Covenant, in which only the high priest, once a year, could go in and make atonement for the people. So there's these levels of this, right? Well, this is talking about the court of the Gentiles. And what is the court of the Gentiles? It's a place where everybody can come and get a little taste of God. It was their only form of evangelism outside of the Jewish faith. If you were a Greek and you came to Jerusalem, you could come and you could worship in the court of the Gentiles. So what did they do? They made it into a marketplace. They're like, everybody comes here. <laughs> it's not really sacred to us, so let's just fill it full of stuff. Let's fill what's supposed to be the most evangelistic form of our worship, and let's just fill it full of junk. Oh my gosh, do I feel convicted by that today. We're guilty of that in the church, of just making things shiny and beautiful and commercial. And that's what we're talking about this morning. If we can't do this without the lights and the tracks and all, if we can't figure out how to do it, then it's worthless. This stuff just is an elevation. It's just gravy. It's not the main dish. But we're, we, we become so attractional in our church models that we just want to, you know, oh, and, I, and I struggle. I, can I be honest with you? I struggle with that. You know why? Because I like this. I enjoy it. I, I really do. I enjoy this, the, the, the production side of things. But here, come back to the question, why do we do what we do? Now, you could get real legalistic and you could kick all that stuff out. Some churches have done that. I tend to believe that that's a little bit of an overcorrection. I believe that as long as you're doing what you do for the right reasons and to edify and glorify God, then all things can be spiritual and profitable. All right, so that's just, this is what's happening. Jesus is coming into this place where Gentiles can come and it's being, they're, they're being kind of boxed out to use a, basketball metaphor they're being boxed out by commerce so he did what any good pastor would do he made a whip right because that's what we do he crafted a whip that's <laughs> verse 15 after making a whip out of cords of course he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and their oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. This was Jesus' tipping point. Can you picture this, this scene? He must have looked like a crazy person. Can you just I mean, picture the scene? Animals running everywhere. People running for their life. Ah, there's a crazy guy in the temple. Can, 
throwing over the tables, money scattering everywhere. What happens when money scatters? Bedlam. I, some people are like, I have a hard time because people are like, no, Jesus is very meek. And, yes, he was. But he made a whip. That's not, that's not a meek thing to do. When was the last time you pl- played the Monopoly and didn't turn over the table? That's an aggressive act. Right, Leon? You're not that kind of game player, right? No, that's me. Stupid game. Any game with money, I'm like, Lisa's going to win it. Stay clear of that game. So this is bedlam. This is craziness. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. What does that even mean? They remembered it. Wonderful. Why? What is zeal for what? What is, what is the temple? What is it? Is it? It's called the house of God. Is that where God lived? I mean, does he have like a, you know, an efficiency apartment in the back with a microwave and a hot plate? No. Does he actually live in a temple? No. This was a lightning rod to God. This was a place where people came and they were able to communicate with the king of the universe. The whole temple is a sign of relationship. It's like a big old golden hug to God's people. That's what it was. We know that because he just he goes on here. So the Jews are, I think, somewhat reasonably annoyed at this. He kind of disrupted their, their system. If you live in Christ long enough, you're going to realize that seasons come often where he disrupts your systems. If you're not okay with that, you're, you're serving the wrong God. 18, so the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? He's like, basically saying, show me your credentials. Who gives you the right to do this? And they completely misunderstood his answer. And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. That's my credentials. He's not talking about the temple. He's talking about, he's like, destroy this temple. And they're asking for a sign. He's like, I'm telling you, I'm showing you my credentials. I have the right to do this because I am the reason people are here. Destroy this temple. Now, you want to see my credential, my cards? I'm a card-carrying redeemer of all mankind. You tear this temple down, just you watch. You want to see my credentials? You're going to have to wait a little bit longer. But I have every right to do what I just did. I have every right to disrupt you. I have every right to purge what is being abused. I have every right to realign what worship means. I have a right. You know why? Because I made it in the first place, you idiots. You're telling me how to worship me? 
I made this whole thing up. And everything was on purpose. And it had a purpose. And that was to draw people to me, not to rely on the ritual to make you feel good about yourself. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Verse 22. So when he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. For the Lenten season really to confront us, we need to examine the heart of our worship. It's not just about ridding ourselves of, of or, or, or bringing to, to the forefront of our mind the pagan or the sinful or the secular things that, are, that we practice and do and make excuses for. It's that too. But it's also to examine the heart of our worship. So let me ask you again. Why do we do what we do? I'm so excited that 45% of our church people have made it a priority to come to life groups this, this semester. That, that just makes me so excited that that many people would say, I got a busy life. This is not convenient in my calendar, but I'm going to prioritize this. But let me ask you the question, why? I hope the answer is, because I want to get to know my Jesus better. Or even, a, I think even a good question, answer would be, I just want to be around my brothers and sisters. I think that's a good reason. Or, I don't know, I just feel drawn to God. I'm not quite sure why I want to do this. Remember I said that a few weeks ago, you never fall up? You never fall up. That's why... When we talk about religion, it often has that, that negative connotation, right? But what, what it really is, is a trellis that keeps you abiding in the vine. It's a support system that brings you regularly back to the things of God. It's something that you can put into your schedule that says, you know what, this is important. But it's never about the actual thing. It's always a, a, a support system for connecting with God. And that's what the temple was, and that's what church is supposed to be. I talked to you many, many times about it's so good to have a quiet time in the mornings or sometime during the day to spend time with God, to read his word, to, to pray, and to just connect. Why? so that you can check the box. I did that this day. I'm going to tell pastor, and he's going to go, good job. I'm not saying you're doing that. I hope the reason is for the, for the actual reason for the ritual. Because that's what it is. Doing devotions on a regular basis is religion. In the best way possible. It's a framework that helps you connect with God. It's a thing you do, but not for the sake of just doing a thing. It's for connection. Relationship is the reason behind the ritual. 
Guys, I'm just going to tell you this. If you haven't taken your wife out on a date in a little while, blowing it. Why would you go to a movie? Why would you go out for dinner? Why do that? And I've seen this, and it drives me crazy. There'll be a young couple. It doesn't even matter how young they are. It'll be a couple sitting at a table that they're spending money buying food at, and they're on their phones. Now, if they were texting each other, I might give them a little break. At least that would be some form of communication. But I'm going to say they're probably figuring out what the world says about the photo of their food that they just got. Can we stop with the food pictures, please? Really, honestly, can we stop with that? I don't care what you had for dinner last night. And you don't care what I had for dinner last night. Although I am a pastor, so therefore my food is probably more holy. <laughs> oh, that's what it takes to be a <laughs> chicken parm. The ritual of dating your, your sweetheart, whatever phase you're in in that relationship, is not to just check off the box. If it is, we need to do some serious counseling. Because if you're checking off the boxes in your relationship, that is a sign that there's problems. And it's the same thing with God. Because the ritual, the date that you go on every Sunday to come to church, is supposed to enhance relationship. (laughs) I could say it six ways from Sunday, but we'll just keep going. Mark chapter 2. And this really brings it home for me. On the Sabbath... He was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. (laughs) I love this. They literally made it like a a religious ritual to follow Jesus, to, to like pick him apart. Oh, we never do that. How many friends do you have on Facebook that you're just there just because you like to be annoyed? Oh, that person, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell her. And you get in these holy arguments. We never do that. That's why I'm off Facebook. I couldn't take it any longer. So the Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What? What, what are we doing? Gotcha. I get a picture of him following like behind the grain like, oh, they're going to pick one. I know they're going to. Gotcha. I can just picture like the glee in their eyes, like, oh, we got you now. What does Jesus say? <laughs> then he told them, the ritual of the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the ritual of Sabbath. Sabbath is not a bad thing. In fact, we're going to be talking about Sabbath in upcoming weeks. What that means for us, we don't take a Sabbath. And you're like, I don't even know how I would take a Sabbath. Remember earlier we just had that quiet point? How many people were going like their skin started to crawl? Come on, be honest. How many people had a little skin crawl in that time of silence? Come on, be honest. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you know why? Because it's uncomfortable. We don't know how to unplug, right? We'll get to that another Sunday. But 
the idea is this. The Sabbath was not made for a religious ritual that they could check off the box. The Sabbath was made for people to take a break and focus on their families, on uh, having some fun, and most importantly, focusing on God. Building relationship. So the Sabbath was not about not eating a grain from the field. It was about relationship. Are we more comfortable with doing than being? Just think about that. It's kind of a, a weird sentence. But are we more comfortable with doing than just being? I am. I am. And that's much of our religious experience is this doing. We feel like we're, if we do more, we're, better, we're a better Christian. I'm not saying this so that we have a mass exodus from all of our serving teams. Pastor said, I don't have to serve anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that we get in this rut of being only, only our worth is wrapped up in what we do for God rather than just being one of God's children. Are we better at checking the box than connecting with a person? this person in this context being Jesus. That's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's easier just to check it and go home. Are we more comfortable with a faceless system? Or are we truly, do we truly want to seek the face of God? Guys, I'm telling you, I'm, I've, been, I've been wrestling with this this week. Because I'm a leader of a church, which could be a faceless system, or it could be a conduit for relationship. Which side of that do I lean into more? As the leader, as the pastor? It's a really good question to ask yourself if you're a pastor. If you ever get to that place... I think it's good for all of us. And this one will take a couple seconds for you to think about. Are you going through the motions? And an honest answer might be this. Right now I am. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. But it's the religious trellis, the, the, the support system that's keeping me coming back right now. And I think that's an honest and a healthy answer. But that's not where you want to live. That's not where you want to stay. It may be a season where you're just going through, you're, you're just going through the rituals, you're just doing the thing because you know it's right and you know it's good and, 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 and you're just not feeling it, but you're, you're letting the, the system, the, the support system just keep you afloat. And that may be a season you're going through. I get it. I've been there. But that's not where you want to live. You want to move to that place of relationship again. Connection. Now I'm going to spin one of the verses <clears throat> that we read today. And I want you to personalize it with me, okay? Just read along. 
Jesus is calling out to you today. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I want you to put your name in the blank, though. Oh, fill in the blank. One who's been playing around with religion for so long. How I long to gather you into close relationship with me. Like how a mother hen draws her chicks into a place of safety close to her body. Do not resist, as so many religious people have done before. Relationship with me is the reason behind the rituals. Set your heart on me.